Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. From Decrypt Media, this is the Decrypt Daily, and my name is Matthew Aaron. Today on the show, we have Minister of Digital and Financial Services for the Government of Gibraltar, Minister Albert Isola, coming up today on the Decrypt Daily. What's up, everybody? Welcome to the show. Today is the day after Thanksgiving, Black Friday, the 27th, 2020. And I'm here to tell you about our deals today on Black Friday. I'm going to tell you today's crypto prices, but I'm also going to tell you how much off you are getting from the highest that it reached last week if you bought today. So without further ado, let's get into those crypto prices. Here comes the money. Here we go. Money talk. And I'm recording this at 1 o'clock Eastern Standard Time, and I'm putting this out a little bit earlier because I know everybody's just sitting around their house doing nothing anyway on Friday. Probably nobody's at work, so why not listen to a podcast? Here you go. You're welcome. Bitcoin is sitting at $16,754.90, down 12.7% from the high I recorded on the 24th at 19000 So if you are buying today, you get a 12.7% discount on your Bitcoin from the 24th of last week. Ethereum is at 503.74, a 17% discount from the high I reported last week at 607. Litecoin is clocking in a 24% discount at 68.13, down from its high last week at 89.84. Chainlink is a 22.6% discount. That's 22.6% off, ladies and gentlemen, at 12.15, down from its high last week of 1571 and xrp is 23.4% discounted today from its 70 cents all-time high last week let's take a look and see what other deals we have we have rights reserved rsr enjoying a 24% discount over 7 days we have thorachain's rune with a 23% discount over 7 days at 74 cents we have ave with a 22% discount at 59.78 Uniswap, 15% off today. Ladies and gentlemen, that's Uniswap at 15% off at $3.28. And Polkadot is a 15% offer today for a limited time. I'm telling you, it's for a limited time. 15% off at $4.66. I think it was well over 5 bucks, around $5.50, $5.60 last week. I know these deals won't last long, so you better act fast. Better act fast. Black Friday. Ladies and gentlemen, it's Black Friday. Now, ladies and gentlemen, I am not telling you this because I'm giving you financial advice. I'm not telling you to go out and buy anything. I'm just telling you the discounts that are happening right now, the percentage off the downs of the market right now. This is by no means saying go take your money and dump it into any coin. Please, this is not financial advice. But what I am saying is some people in this space just drive me nuts. I said it yesterday in yesterday's podcast. I saw it on Twitter all day yesterday. You know what? And it's not even it's not even the 
uh, hungry or thirsty people trying for attention. It's not the influencers. It's not the new people that are scared because they just bought Bitcoin at $19,000. It's not even the long hodlers. Obviously, it's not the, the long hodlers because we know better. You know who it is? It is the media companies that are getting those clicks because they're saying the sky is falling. Bitcoin went tits up. Oh my God, everything's liquidated. MicroStrategy lost $100 million or what, so on and so forth. MicroStrategy, and I want you to know this, their stock is up like crazy. Best performing stock my buddy has. I just saw him post it on Twitter. Best performing stock he has is up. But we're going to talk about their Bitcoin holdings. It's just frustrating. It's frustrating that we just can't have honest media. Media that is there for informing people about what is going on. A correction is totally normal. A pullback is totally expected. But for some reason, we want to dramatize and amplify what is happening to make it the, the end of the world. Every damn day, the end of the world is coming. Why? And it's the media companies. It is the media companies that need to have that title, need to have that clickbait, need to have that, that headline that says, the sky is falling. Instead of doing the responsible thing and saying, this is totally expected, this is totally natural, and this is totally healthy. Watch this happen, watch the correction happen, and then let's look at the future. Let's look at the history. Let's look at everything that we know to be true about a market. When things are trending up, it's gonna do these ups and downs and ups and downs, but it's still trending in an upward fashion. And when things are trending down, it goes up and down again, but it trends down. We're not in a down market right now. Everybody can see we're trending up. So what's the worries, guys? What's the worries? And furthermore, here is the bullish news is not only our banks, not only our institutions, not only wealthy individuals are getting into this space and buying Bitcoin, but also places like Gibraltar, where I have the Minister of Digital and Financial Services, Minister Albert Isola, gonna come and tell about how they are making legislation and framework and laws to foster this emerging technology. Now that's bullish. Here's our conversation. Albert Isola, how are you doing? Welcome to the show, sir. Very well, thank you. It's nice to be with you. I've had a burning question that I've been wanting to ask and talk to you about for a long time, and I'm really happy that you carved some time out of your, your schedule to come on and talk to Decrypt Media. I want to know about the switch to digital currencies from countries around the world. There's been a lot of talk about the dominance of the U.S. dollar, the dominance of the American government, the dominance of the American government's leverage to U.S. dollar globally, and the need for a, of being autonomous uh, economically and being sovereign by nations around the world, especially smaller nations that have to almost kind of cave to the power of bigger nations. And digital currency might be a way for them to maintain some control. Can you talk to me a little bit about digital currencies and the ability to maintain sovereignty and autonomous e economies in the future using Bitcoin or other cryptocurrencies? Well, I think the question is as large as the number of words you've used to ask it. <laughs> the repercussions of the question are, are significant and vast. Um, I think uh, that at the end of the day, when you consider where we're trying to get to with the use of digital currencies, it's to make life easier for its citizens, to make transactions quicker, uh, safer, uh, bringing in new reams of um, compliance mechanisms and corporate governance, which actually are better than what we've currently got today using traditional uh, uh, um, mechanisms. And so there is a whole string of different reasons as to why we would want to engage with digital currencies. And different countries 
and different sovereigns will have their own reasons for doing so. For example, the Chinese reasons may differ from the ones that the US would have as to why they'd wish to encourage digital currencies. For, for small communities like ours, um, it's not so much a question of whether we'd want to replicate the traditional currencies with digital. Uh, it's about being able to have our citizens working in, in a different way, in a way which is far more akin to technology and the modern way of doing things. Because today, compared to 10 years ago, 20 years ago, and 30 years ago, things happen very much quicker. Um, and in some cases, and in some of these instances, very, very much better. And so as government, it's our responsibility to pursue the innovation and the way that these uh, systems are working to facilitate that. And what we've done here, as you said, small countries, it's not so much a burning need to have an alternative uh, uh, currency, but more wanting to encourage innovation, fully understanding that innovation can only happen if it comes within some form of regulatory framework and having the speed and the agility to move quicker than larger countries have to implement it. And so what we've done these past three years is work on providing precisely that sort of regulatory environment and framework to encourage innovation, but safely, in a way that consumers who use it can trust it. My view and our government's view has always been from the day that we first started working in this space, is that if you can't engage with this technology safely, it's, there's not going, you're not gonna enjoy the mass adoption that it will need to be successful. Our view has always been, let's encourage the use of this technology safely. The Bitcoin, the blockchain, these are all innovative platforms which we fully encourage, but to be used safely. And by that, we mean having a pragmatic uh, regulatory approach to how we should allow businesses in this space to, to work in this space further. You said foster innovation, and I, I understand the fostering innovation when it comes to blockchain technology and cryptocurrency. And I, I used to live in Taiwan, and they are always looking for new people to move over to Taiwan and new um, industries to move over to Taiwan and use their resources to uh, to help grow their economies um, and foster, of course, innovation uh, around blockchain or cryptocurrency. When you say foster innovation, are you talking about the blockchain innovation? Are you talking about the ability for a place like Gibraltar to reach out and engage in the world in a more efficient manner to foster any kind of innovation? I think the answer is both. Um, I think what we're doing here is at the cutting edge of how some of these private sector firms are operating using the regulatory platform that we've set up for them. Then there is the secondary aspect, which is education. Uh, we have set up courses hand in hand with private sector firms to leverage their expertise at our teaching establishments like our university in furthering education and knowledge and research in the blockchain space. And thirdly, as a government ourselves, we're looking at how we can use some of this technology ourselves to make our own systems more, um, more efficient uh, and imp basically improving them by using the technology in a better way than the current technology we use, which is being superseded by some of these that we're seeing coming in now, particularly in the areas of identity uh, and and uh, transfer of ownership where smart contracts and blockchains are very efficient. I like that you said that you are trying to foster both. One, the innovation when it comes to the blockchain and cryptocurrency, plus other innovation that allows your uh, people to 
contact and deal and trade and 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 do business with the rest of the world in a more efficient manner. Uh, I guess is it cryptocurrencies that you're looking at? Is it blockchain or is it more of a C a CBDC a way of currency that will allow you a better and more efficient way to do that? The way I see this, this this comes in stages and phases. So from where we're looking at this, the first phase has been to set up a regulatory framework and invite firms to come with the same vision and work from here in some of these areas. That's the phase one. So we've done that. We've now got around 15 firms and another 10 in the pipeline going through the regulatory uh, application process to set up and work from here. So we set up the platform, they come and they work here, and then they begin to use cryptos through, the, through the, the, their own businesses, which we are not involved in, obviously. Um, they start to work with cryptos. And I see the CDBCs uh, coming as the next stage after that. Um, so I think the, the evolution of digital currencies comes from more and more firms adopting the technology, adopting crypto, and then the, the digital currencies become, the central bank digital currencies become more of an obvious uh, uh, user experience for people who are already familiar, which is why, for example, the, the Libra program, the interesting thing about the Libra program is it will overnight give you mass adoption. People all over the world will become very familiar with what a digital currency is, how easy it is to use, and how it will operate. Very so true. So that's a great catalyst for this whole space, and I think it'll have a big impact on it. I think I was a little bit, um, there's a little bit of hubris there to assume that everybody that might be listening understood the problems or the unique situations that a, a, a place like yours, a country like yours would be facing. I was wondering if you could tell us what are those unique problems that a country faces like yours uh, with a smaller GDP or a smaller po population and it's still using the Gibraltar pound, which is its own currency, uh, that, that might be looking at these different ways to innovate transactions and banking and commerce. So all small territories, and you, you referred to this in your very opening question, all small territories have to be innovative to survive. Um, businesses today are very mobile. They can pick up and go tomorrow. And so each of our small territory governments uh, have got to be creative, innovative, and agile if we're going to be seeking to attract niche uh, areas of business. For example, in Gibraltar, we have around 20% of the UK motor market insurance. That means one in almost one in four cars driving around the UK has got a Gibraltar insurance policy in its glove compartment. That's a huge number for a place the size of Gibraltar. We started working on that 15 years ago and have developed to have 20% of the market today. In online gaming, 25 years ago, um, we started by contract regulating online gaming firms when they were telephone betting. Because of course, 25 years ago, there was a mass adoption of internet. Today, they are now all online. They represent about 75% of the United Kingdom online betting business. So again, another huge number, completely disproportionate to our size. And they employ around three and a half thousand people working from Gibraltar. Blockchain and crypto is another one of these niche areas, whereas a small territory, we've been able to move quickly to provide a legislative and regulatory framework to encourage these firms to do the business safely. So for example, why would a blockchain firm come to Gibraltar? Because it knows that if it gets a license in Gibraltar, the work that it's doing is regulated, has supervisory oversight, and therefore gives confidence to its users that it has a stamp of approval from a jurisdiction 
uh, perspective with a regulator having looked at them they're fit and proper they have a good business plan they have good corporate governance they're adequately capitalized all these things we take for granted in most jurisdictions those firms don't have it so all small territories like ours have to be agile and the agility is what gives us uh, the ability to provide niche markets and be good at them be better than some of the larger jurisdictions because we can move quicker that that's a very interesting and and to be nimble and forward looking is not just necessary but it's also i'm from a small town and it's very easy to be in your bubble. It's very easy to be inward looking. It's very easy to not want to push that threshold with uh, people that have been there and they are, they enjoy their lifestyle. They enjoy their businesses. They want to just continue doing the same thing. How do you keep moving forward and being proactive and forward looking for your government, for your people, for your economy in such a way that is you just, as you mentioned, decades ahead of everybody else. I mean, to change the mindset of people, government, yourself, to understand what's coming, is it just you throw something on the wall, see what sticks? Or do you actually understand, like, like how do you educate people to make that decision? I think answer to that question is really quite simple. And that is that we are a very, very small jurisdiction, but very aware. We are very politically aware. And we're very commercially aware because we've had to be. What that has done is forced us to work in a way that is different to most countries, which is we will sit in every single aspect of our business with the private sector as our partners and the regulator round the same table. So you will have regulator, government, private sector, the professionals in that space working together. That's how we developed the blockchain uh, legal framework. That's how we developed the online gaming uh, space. We are currently reviewing our legislation uh, on the online gaming uh, sector. And we've got three lawyers from the private sector advising us on what works, what doesn't work. These are the same guys that are representing gaming firms, so they have first-hand knowledge of what it is that makes it tick. So by having that direct face-to-face -face engagement with the private sector, with the regulators, with governments sitting around the same table together every day of the week, uh, it gives us a very good insight into what we need to be doing to be ahead. Just this afternoon, I've been on a on a webinar with a new piece of legislation we've introduced in the fund space, where we went to a particular expert in London to help us with the drafting of the legislation for limited partnerships. Um, you wouldn't see one of the big countries ever doing that, but small jurisdictions like ours do that all the time. And, and for my American audiences, uh, I think you said three lords. What's a lord? No, three lawyers. I'm sorry. Oh, it's lawyers. I thought you said lords. I thought you like lords and ladies. I was like, I, I don't know what a lord is. <laughs> <laughs> Americans would be more familiar with lawyers than we are. So um, yeah, three, three senior lawyers from our local profession. I, I apologize for my, my misunderstanding. <laughs> Going back to cryptocurrencies a, a little bit, what do you see in the blockchain and cryptocurrency space that uh, allows you to, again, we were just talking about being nimble and educating and, you know, and getting advised by people. Uh, but what was it about blockchain or cryptocurrencies that you just went, yes, no, that's something we have to follow, opposed to say something that you chose not to follow and pursue? We started from the position that we didn't welcome the business. So we were quite cynical, and I'm going back now five or six years when we first looked at this. But as a result of that, as I mentioned just, just now, private sector approached us and said, would you have any objection to set up a working group to look at this in a little bit more detail? At a time when it had a, a terrible reputation, um, it, was, it was the press, you only heard about Bitcoin and blockchain, 
uh, with scammers and with money launderers and with all this sort of stuff circulating in that space. So we decided to look a little, a little bit more detail. And I asked uh, somebody that had been a former deputy CEO of the regulator to join that working committee. I asked Paula Stengo, who's a senior executive uh, in Gibraltar Finance that works in business development with me to be on that working group. And they had the rest were a series of people from the private sector. And they spent two years looking at this. And they considered one, whether Gibraltar should be involved in that space. They consulted with the public generally in Gibraltar about it. And secondly, once the conclusions came that we should look at it more closely, they also began to look at how we should regulate it. Should we set up a new regulator just for the space? Should we use a traditional financial services regulator? So they looked at all the different aspects and they came back to government with a report, which basically says, we think you should look at this more closely and this is how we think you should do it. And then from there, we moved on to, okay, I took it to cabinet, central committee of government and cabinet said, go for it. This looks like something that we can do safely where consumers will be better protected, regulated than if they're not regulated. Uh, and as a result of that, we engage in the process which uh, led to our legislation becoming effective on the 1st of January 2018. So we've been in this game with a full set of laws in place for what is coming up to uh, the end of two years, the whole of 2018, the whole of 2019, now the whole of 2023 years, which is quite, quite remarkable. So when we look at other jurisdictions and how they are uh, moving, we are following that very closely too to ensure that the legislative framework that we have works today. And so we are very conscious of the FATF travel rule. We'll be looking at ways in which we can ensure that our firms comply with that. We're also looking at another piece of work on market integrity and market manipulation to ensure that our firms aren't uh, in the position where that could happen uh, to them, either directly or indirectly through their client base. So we are always alive to how the space is moving because it's moving very quickly. And our intention is to be at the cutting edge of the space uh, in the years to come, because that's the only way that we can have a sustainable long-term business working hand in hand with the operators uh, in this area. Would you say that you're, I mean, how would I want to say this? Malta is very, also very proactive, trying to create a crypto-friendly place for businesses to relocate to. Would you say that you are in competition with them? Do you say that you are acting in a different manner than them? I wouldn't know the difference between uh, Gibraltar and Malta in, in ways of, of legislating. What are the differences and how can somebody that's going to navigate into trying to set up or establish in either of those territories, what, what would you say those, uh, those di big differences are? If I was going to draw one difference, I think it would be that I think we are a much smaller jurisdiction uh, and therefore we are very much more selective. We are the premier online gaming jurisdiction in the world with only 14 B2C businesses here. We don't want hundreds. Uh, we are very selective. We want a small number of very good quality firms. And we have found that that has worked for us well in financial services and also in the online gaming space. Um, Malta's position, I suspect, is slightly different. They have hundreds of, of, of uh, licensees. Um, and I think so I think the approach is different. Um, in the blockchain space, uh, we, were, we were definitely the first jurisdiction to get a legislative framework out and in force uh, in, in January of 2018, we announced, and we made that public in October of 2017. Um, and we have worked with many other jurisdictions. We've worked with the European Union in sharing with them our philosophy at the time and our ideas. Um, I myself have been to New York uh, to speak at the events there and in other places, Silicon Valley, 
uh, in talking through what our vision is for, for the space. So I think, again, I use the word agile again. We've been very agile in, in how we've moved, but always from a position of being very careful with who our regulator will allow through in terms of ensuring that they meet all of our requirements. So we don't apologize for setting a standard high. Um, we are small enough to be able to do that. Um, and it's something we will continue to do in the future. What are the uh, advantages of such uh, exclusivity? And what are the disadvantages? I, I, I mean, are you, is it, I mean, you already said it, it's, it's exclusive, it's harder, but are you, is it more of the cream of the crop? Can you people trust the companies that are based in Gibraltar better? Is it a higher barrier of entry when it comes to cost for a company? So what, I guess, what's the pros and cons of being so exclusive? I, I think you've said it. Um, firms that are here are very proud of the reputation that the jurisdiction gives them. Um, and we enjoy that reputational benefit with them together. Um, and to have that, they've got to get through uh, all the loops that we put before them in the licensing and regulatory processes. So for us, we only want people here that care about their reputation as much as we do. And so the fitness and propriety of the individuals and of the firms themselves for us uh, is very, very important. Um, you know, we can't have uh, lots of firms uh, causing problems with not doing things properly because it hurts us as much as it hurts them. So the approach has always been be selective, have a high bar. That's what our own firms who are here today are telling us, don't drop the standards, stay as we are, hold tight. Um, and that's what we absolutely intend to keep doing. Switching a little bit to more global um, politics, how worried are you? Look, COVID is going a little bit crazy around the world. And, and as a result, you know, countries are locking down. The United States is doing what the United States is doing. And it printed a lot of money um, back in um, uh, the summer, you know, 2.2 to 2.6 trillion dollars, 20% of what people say of all of US dollars in existence got printed over the summer. Does that worry you as such a, a small country? And and do you think that a lot of this um, innovation that you're doing is in, and maybe the you're trying to expedite this because of the possible inflation or repercussions of the economic strategies that the U.S. or the EU is taking right now as in, a way, in the wake of COVID? Look, I think, I think that the pandemic is going to have horrific consequences on all of our economies, um, big and small. What I do believe is that uh, very small territories like ours are able to deal with these world uh, crises rather better than the larger ones because of our size. Uh, if you imagine you're on a, on a ship, I think you'd much rather be in a very, very small seaworthy ship than a very large one that can get smashed to pieces. You might move around a bit more, you might get bumped around and thrown around a little bit more, but your chances of survival are probably a little bit better. Um, and so, so as, as small economies, again, uh, our ability to have what we have, which is a diverse economy, where we have financial services, we have online gaming, we have tourism, we have the port, the largest bunker port in the Mediterranean, all of these little bits contribute and in the past, the COVID pandemic is different. In the past, whenever there's been a, a hit on financial services, the other industries will, will chip in to see us through. We've never had one, one event that has hit all of the sectors at the mm -hmm. same time as this one does. It's almost the perfect storm. But look, our financial services firms and online gaming firms have carried on throughout this COVID pandemic almost unaffected. They've carried on working. Whether mm -hmm. they're working at home, or working from their offices, they've carried on working. Um, and that's quite remarkable. Our retail and wholesale trade, our hospitality trade, has obviously been very, very badly damaged by it. 
and they've shut down because we've told them to shut down. But we haven't given any support to our financial services firms or our online gaming firms. They've carried on operating through the entire pandemic without any direct government financial support, which is, which is quite remarkable. And that's not because we didn't want to, it's because they stood up um, right at the beginning of this pandemic and said, we don't need financial help for now, but if we do, we'll come back. And up until now, they haven't. Um, and that's a, a credit to their resilience and a credit to their ability to work through these difficult times. Um, what do we face? Well, like any other jurisdiction, uh, we've had to borrow money because what's happened these past six months is we've had to spend more than usual because we're providing financial support to the retail sector, the hotel sector, um, the, the wholesale sector, the hospitality trade. We're receiving very little income because obviously we haven't been receiving the same uh, uh, revenues that we normally would. So we have a, a, a sovereign guarantee for 500 million pounds from the United Kingdom government, who have worked very, very closely with us throughout this entire period, which will see us through the roughy seas that we expect to see in the coming months and years as we begin to repay that money back in a very structured manner. So, so we've done what we think will see us through this period, but obviously we'll come back to that in 12, 18 months time if that is proven not to be the case. But it's certainly uh, the, the, the thought of having a economic crisis is the same as you've got a health crisis is new to everyone uh, and it's damaged us and exposed us as governments all over the world in a way that we never imagined we'd ever see. I guess my question was, um, and thank you for that, is, is it is a, a global pandemic and a global thing that we all have to deal with. Um, but I guess the, the gist of my question was, are you worried that the United States is printing a lot of money and do you think that it's gonna affect your economy? Yes, of course. Whatever the United States does has an impact and, the, and its own economy has an impact on the rest of the world. It's the largest economy in the world, of course it does. Um, so in terms of the, the, the flow of that impact on us, it'll take a, leg, a little longer to hit us, but hit us it will at some stage in the future when I wouldn't dare to guess, it's not my area of expertise. Understood, understood. Rounding, rounding this off, this conversation, and before I ask this last question, I want to say thank you very much for your time. Um, you know, the, the Bitcoin and crypto prices are are rallying these days. I think everybody's getting excited. Everybody is looking for a new future. I mean, the price of Bitcoin, I guess we could just say it's a, a measuring stick of adoption, of acceptance, and, and regulation, a lot of different things. How are you looking this latest rally from Bitcoin in the crypto space? And be, I don't want to just say, is it bullish, but do you, how do you, how are you looking at this in terms of mass adoption of the future of cryptocurrency in, these, in uh, the crypto space and Bitcoin? I, I, I see the value of the Bitcoin, particularly in these past uh, 11, 10 months um, <clears throat> since the pandemic began, where we've seen a lot of volatility in currencies that are traditionally stable. Uh, and you've seen that stability in the Bitcoin, which is a little bit bizarre. Um, and when you look at it, when you look at the, the volumes of the last um, year, uh, it's it's interesting to see that Bitcoin has not just been resilient, but has continued to grow. What is driving that? Are there, are there individual uh, uh, groups uh, pushing that in one direction or another? Because it suits them, possibly. But as we get to uh, a more um, stable and regulated environment, uh, I believe that there will be greater and greater adoption. Uh, I believe more and more institutions uh, will begin to, to work with this more than they have in the past. 
as it becomes more and more regulated and international standards are applied to its usage in the future. Um, we are seeing, for example, in Gibraltar, firms coming in now looking at accepting Bitcoin as an asset oh, wow. for the purpose of lending you money. Nice. That's 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 not going to come because we've seen it and it's coming. Uh, it's it's already here with us. So I think that is that all indicates to more and more adoption, um, particularly of Bitcoin, more than the other cryptos. And I think that's good for the space and good for those people who are in that space. Minister of Digital and Financial Services for the Government of Gibraltar, Mr. Albert Isola. Thank you very much for coming on the show, talking to us. Allow me to ask random questions at times, but things that I've always been curious about and we've been setting this up for a couple months. I appreciate your time, sir. Matthew, thank you very much. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Decrypt Daily. My name is Matthew Aaron. Tomorrow on the show, we have back Mr. Sergey Nazarov, co-founder of Chainlink, and he's going to talk about the co- and he's going to talk about the compound exploit that happened the other day. I've been waiting to cover this. I know it's not the freshest of fresh news, but with his expertise, I think he could do it a little bit better than I can. So I'll be back with that conversation tomorrow. Until then, happy hodling, everybody.